Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and it's been a little bit since I dropped an episode. Um, took a little bit of time away for some personal reasons, but I'm back and ready to roll. Uh, I, I guess I picked an inconvenient time to take a couple weeks off. I missed the trade deadline. I was following the news. Don't get me wrong. I just didn't record a raise your voice in time for the trade deadline. And I also haven't recorded since we got the news that Tyler Glass now is going to and now has successfully undergone Tommy John surgery. will miss the rest of this season and most likely all but assuredly all of 2022 as well. Uh, so a lot of news to cover and go over all of that. Um, I am writing solo on this episode. Uh, don't worry, we'll get some great guests back from DRaysBay.com and all over the baseball and Rays Twitter sphere and baseball universe uh, very soon. But today, just writing solo, I'm going to raise my own voice, I think, uh, towards the end of today's episode. Uh, but let's jump right into it and talk trade deadline. So I'm just going to look at the, I guess, totality of moves that the Rays made in the month of July leading up to the July 30th trade deadline. Uh, way back at the beginning of the month, they traded right-handed pitcher David Hess to the Miami Marlins. Uh, then they traded Davey Gurion, the, like who was the third catcher on the 40-man roster for a little bit. Uh, he'd been claimed uh, on waivers a couple of times. Traded him to the Chicago White Sox. I don't know what he's doing now because Sebi Zavala is, is playing for for Chicago at this point in time with, with Grandal hurt. I don't know if he's on their big league roster or not. And then the big trade came on July 22nd. Nelson Cruz acquired from the Minnesota Twins. Uh, they also got Calvin Fauche, and that was an exchange for two right-handed pitchers, Drew Strotman and Joe Ryan, who were AAA pitchers. Joe Ryan just competed in the Tokyo Olympics for Team USA. Uh, Joe Ryan was the minor league pitcher of the year for the Rays in 2019, and uh, I, I think both of those guys are, are pretty sizable prospects, and the, the Rays clearly gave up a lot to get Cruz, and I, I'm going to talk about that more in just a second. Um, the, then the next day on the 23rd, they trade Rich Hill to the New York Mets for right-handed pitcher Tommy Hunter and catching prospect Matt Dyer. Tommy Hunter on the 60-day IL, not expected to pitch this season. Rich Hill had a few months left on his contract, uh, and it seemed like the Rays were just ready to move on from Rich Hill for whatever reason that was. They got a catching prospect that I'm, I'm, I'm sure they like, uh, but Tommy Hunter, him coming back to the Rays was really more of a technicality than anything else. The Rays don't expect Tommy Hunter to pitch for them this year, but uh, an interesting trade. I think one that, that caught a lot of us off guard, even the, even the uh, <laughs> those of us that are, are I guess, uh, not really shocked by many moves that the Rays make because they, all, they, they always make shocking moves. Uh, but that one definitely caught us off guard at least a little bit. Uh, on, on July 29th, the day before the trade deadline, the Rays sent Diego Castillo, their leader in saves, again, another trade that just caught us completely off guard, uh, to the Seattle Mariners in, in exchange for JT Chagua and quarter infield prospect Austin Shenton. Um, yeah, I think Chagua and Castillo are, are pretty similar. Um Castillo maybe hadn't looked as good. He was still having a really good season. Uh, maybe not as good or as dominant as he had been in previous years. Uh, Chagua is a guy that is going to pitch high leverage innings in this bullpen. A guy the Rays liked a lot, and they got to add another prospect on top of that. And then the last trade that really kind of, I think it broke shortly after 4 o'clock Eastern, after the deadline had already passed on July 30th. The, the trade deadline usually on July 31st. Um, but when, when July 31st falls on a weekend, though, a Saturday or a Sunday, they usually move the deadline um, like up a day or, or uh, push it back a day. Um, I think it's been on August 1st one year, but this year was on July 30th on a Friday. 
uh, in that last trade that came across the line um, after we had heard the news of Chris Bryant going to the San Francisco Giants and Craig Kimbrell going to the White Sox earlier that day. Uh, the Rays acquired Jordan Luplo and DJ Johnson from Cleveland in exchange for Peyton Battenfield, a pitching prospect who was at the double-A level this year. Luplo, a guy that's known for hitting left-handed pitching really well. He adds outfield depth. He's currently on the team right now. He came up to replace Randy Rosarena, who was on the COVID IL uh, with with not not a, well, not with a positive test, but with you know contact tracing. Uh, he missed a few games, so Jordan Luplo comes up, plays really well over three games. I think uh, this is this is going to drop the day uh, the Boston series starts or the day after. I, I think Luplo is still going to be with the team for this uh, the rest of this road trip, or at least some of it. Even after Rosarena comes back to the lineup tonight, they were able to move DJ Johnson, the other guy that was acquired in this trade. Uh, he'll, he'll be going on the IL uh, with what looked like a nasty shoulder injury. Initially, I think a lot of people, including myself, thought it was a knee injury. Uh, he like landed awkwardly, and it looked like his knee might have buckled or locked up. Uh, but then he kind of comes down grabbing his leg, but with his shoulder. It, 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 was, it was really hard to tell what the injury was. Um, he said that he felt a, something cracked in his shoulder. Um, there was no pop or anything like that, like you usually hear. He said it cracked, which is, uh, I don't know, it's just not really something you want to hear when it comes to any part of your body parts. Uh, we don't have a, an official word on, on what the injury is or what the extent of the injury is, but I do think he's going to miss some time, maybe even the remainder of the season now that we only have uh, you know, less than two months left in the regular season. And then hopefully a long postseason run for the Rays. But DJ Johnson got a couple innings in for the Rays. Um, unfortunate injury, but uh, I guess that's kind of the way things have been going recently with the Rays bullpen. Jordan Luplo, uh, again, yeah, a guy that can hit left-handed pitching. You add an outfielder with options that's got big league experience, that has had success at the big league level. I know a lot of fans are going to be clamoring for Josh Lowe or Vidal Brujan to come back up. Uh, Josh Lowe, you know, a true outfielder, Vidal Brujan, Really don't know what his long-term spot is going to be on the big league roster. I think it's going to be center field, um, but we know he's played second base, shortstop, even some third in the minors, played all over the outfield as well. I have to say, if I'm digging more into this trade, again, uh, uh, with with Josh Lowe, a guy who's on the 40-man roster, I don't expect, now with Kevin Kiermeyer and Brett Phillips on this team past the trade deadline, I do not expect Josh Lowe to play in the big leagues this year. Um, barring, I, I think it would take multiple injuries at the big league level. Um, that's that's not a knock on Josh Lowe. I think he's a fine player, a fine prospect, uh, but I don't really know where he fits in uh, on this team right now. A lot of fans have been clamoring for him, and rightfully so. It looks like he's going to be a good player. Um, Jordan Luplo, again, it really shows how valuable a guy that you can kind of bring up and send down whenever you need an extra outfielder. Maybe you go into a series now you look at the Red Sox who are bringing back Chris Sale, right? They've got Chris Sale, Eduardo Rodriguez, and Martin Perez. You go into a series where you're going to have to face two or three of those guys. You want an extra right-handed bat in the lineup. You call up Luplo. He's going to be a really valuable piece. Uh, and injuries can still and still will happen. Uh, you know, you look at Randy Rosarena goes on the COVID IL, but you've also got Manuel Margot and some of these other outfielders that if they need to take some time on the IL, you feel pretty comfortable bringing Jordan Luplo up to fill that role. His first game with, in the, with the Rays, they threw him in the leadoff spot and he hit a double in his first at-bat. Um, this, this guy's ready to compete and I, I really like this acquisition. Peyton Battenfield, again, another fine prospect. Um, nothing to lose your mind over, though, as most prospects are. Uh, <laughs> as, as you <laughs> quickly realize, 
Uh, but that's it for the trade deadline moves that the Rays made. Uh, and this was a really exciting deadline across baseball. Uh, you had the Chicago Cubs trade away three franchise pillars and Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, and Chris Bryant. And hey, they also moved Craig Kimbrell to their cross-city rivals, the Chicago White Sox, who are having a much better season than the uh, Cubs up on the north side. Uh, yeah, it was a shocking day for the Cubs. I think it was something that, like, it wasn't shocking. We all knew it was coming. But to see all of those players, uh, Baez, Rizzo, and Bryant, uh, all with different teams, you know, in a matter of days, is was, was really crazy. Uh, Baez goes to the Mets, Bryant goes to the Giants, and, and Rizzo goes to the, the New York Yankees, as does Joey Gallo. Um, some other notable moves, Kyle Gibson goes to Philadelphia and probably the biggest blockbuster of them all um, sent Max Scherzer and Trey Turner to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And what do they say? The rich get richer. Uh, the Nationals were, I think they, they had halted conversations over an extension with Trey Turner. It was clear that he wasn't going to be uh, returning or at least he was going to test the free agent waters fully. So they moved him and Max Scherzer, who had a no-trade clause. We had seen the Rays uh, name come up in talks for Max Scherzer. Ultimately sounded like uh, he had a lot of sway over where he ended up. Wanted to go to the West Coast. That NL West division is incredibly competitive. You've got three of the best teams in baseball competing for first place within that division. San Diego, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, who have the best record in all of baseball. Um, so Max Scherzer ends up going over there. The big trade, and Ken Rosenthal uh, reported on this, the big trade, the other really big trade that kind of fell through uh, was between the Rays and Cubs. And he reported that sometime uh, at some point on the table was a trade that would have sent Tyler Glass now and Kevin Kiermeyer to the Chicago Cubs in exchange for both Chris Bryant and Craig Kimbrell. Kimbrell's a guy the Rays have liked. They finished second in the race to sign Craig Kimbrell a couple years back when he went to the Cubs. And early on in his Cubs career, it was not looking great for the uh, former all-star reliever. But this year, he's back to really, I think, some of his prime stuff, prime numbers-wise, and was a really hot commodity on the trade market. So the Rays look to acquire him. And and, and Chris Bryant, um, that was the other really big name. And, you know, after after Kimbrell was dealt to the White Sox, I think the Rays thought they still really had a good shot to land Chris Bryant, who would have been a really interesting addition to this roster. It would have been another rental. The Rays already added Nelson Cruz, who was a rental. Uh, Bryant would have probably played some third, some first, and probably some left field as well. It would have taken some maneuvering. Uh, Bryant's not a great outfielder, a great defensive player in any position, but you're you're eating into the playing time of guys like Joey Wendell and guys like Yandy Diaz, really, if you go to acquire a Chris Bryant it would have made the team better. Surely, um, you know, Bryant is a better player than both Wendell and Diaz as great as I think those players are, uh, but how much better would it have made the team? I'm not so sure. And so I, I was kind of shocked to see that Tyler Glasnow's name was mentioned in trade talks. And again, this was before we knew that he was going to undergo Tommy John surgery. He threw that bullpen on Friday, about an hour after the trade deadline had passed. Um, I'm, I'm sure the, the you know the Rays knew it was a possibility that even after taking these two months off and trying to rehab the elbow without surgery, that surgery was still going to be a possibility for Tyler Glass now. And I'm sure the Cubs knew that as well in those discussions. 
Um, you know, you definitely, from what Mark Topkin was reporting, the Rays weren't expecting Glass now back in 2021, which was kind of news. Um, what we had heard, and it was probably, you know, wishful thinking or, you know, some sense of optimism that he was going to pitch in September and in October for this team. Sounded like, yeah, that was probably just, just wasn't going to happen for, for the Rays and Glass now to feel comfortable building him back up to pitch in high intensity, high leverage situations. Um, such as September and October baseball, it would have been better if he had avoided surgery to just start fresh in 2022. He goes and throws that bullpen, and, and now I'm getting into this, you know, talking more about Tyler Glass now. He goes and throws that bullpen, and um, elbow's still hurting. He thought he was going to have to undergo surgery, and ultimately he meets with his doctor in uh, in Texas. I think it's in Texas, uh, and, and that is confirmed that he was going to undergo Tommy John surgery. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. But, yeah, how crazy would that trade have been? So, I mean, let's pretend that we knew Glass now was going to undergo surgery and he wasn't going to be back until 2023, which would be his last year um, of, of play before he could declare free agency. Uh, that would have been a lot to give up for a rental of Chris Bryant. You've got a couple months left with Chris Bryant. And then Craig Kimbrell, who has a vesting option for 2022, and it's like 16 or $16.5 million for a reliever. It uh, seemed like a lot for the Rays to be picking up. The highest salary they've ever given to a player was Charlie Morton, who was making $15 million a year. And that was a starting pitcher that was a Cy Young finalist in his first year. Uh, so the Rays obviously valued that very uh, valued Charlie Morton very Highly, but for Craig Kimbrell, you're probably not picking up that option if you're the Rays, or you're going to pick it up and you're going to trade him. Uh, it's it, it would have been a weird trade that the Rays we've never really seen the Rays make, and it, I think a lot of fans, despite that that acquisition, those two acquisitions to to really go for it this year, a lot of fans would have been upset. Maybe not at moving Kevin Kiermaier. I think there's a lot a large part of the fan base that has kind of. Uh, you know, moved moved on from Kevin Kiermaier. They there's other guys you can root for, and a lot of similar players like like Brett Phillips, who are really fun to root for. But Kevin Kiermaier, still a staple in this franchise, has been on the team since 2013, uh, and it would have been a, a big move to move him and Tyler Glass now, who was before your, the injury the best player on this team, uh, definitely the best pitcher and, and probably the best o- overall player on this baseball team. Um, moving him, even even knowing that he's not going to pitch at all next year, or there was a chance he wasn't going to pitch at all next year, that would have felt like a, a punch to the gut. Uh, it would have been a, a crazy wave of emotions. Uh, and and uh, ultimately, I'm kind of glad it didn't happen. Well, knowing that Tyler Glass now, now is going to have surgery, now I'm kind of wishing it would have happened. Uh, that's a really kind of, I guess, a cold thing to say. Like, oh, yeah, Tyler Glass now is not going to pitch for us this year or next we might as well trade him. That's that's not what I mean, but I, I'm ultimately glad it didn't happen. I, I think Bryant would have been fun to add him, made the team marginally better, but not significantly better. And Craig Kimbrell, is, uh, it, would, it would have been really nice to have Craig Kimbrell. I think I would have preferred Kimbrell over Bryant. In turn, you look at the injuries they're dealing with. You look at trading Diego Castillo. Uh, Pete Fairbanks is on the IL. We don't know what Nick Anderson is going to look like when he comes back. Um Having a guy like Craig Kimbrell, and this is cliche, but a guy that's been there, done that, would have been really exciting. And I'm, I'm a little sad that the Rays didn't land him. But let's talk about more about Tyler Glass now and the fact that he is not going to pitch um, for the Rays or for any team until 2023. This was going to be the best decision for for Tyler Glass now in his camp, right? 
He's eligible to declare for free agency after the 2023 season. And getting this surgery, whether it would have been in June or whether it was this past week, he was going to miss the 2022 season or at least most all of it. And so trying to, I, I see why they tried to wait because it doesn't really affect the timeline all that much. The most important thing for Tyler Glass now is to pitch, uh, be fully healthy and pitch in 2023. And as of right now, that is, that is the timeline for him because then he gets that full season, a walk year, pretty much. He's going to be able to declare free agency for the first time in his career after that season. Uh, and you want to be fully healthy because this, he's going to be 30 years old by the time he hits free agency. He's going to turn 30 in that 2023 season. That's going to be his one chance at a truly massive free agent contract. Yeah, he might end up extending with the Rays or take a small deal somewhere. When I say small, I mean short deal somewhere. It would be a lot of dollars. Don't get me wrong. Um, but you could look at a guy like Glass now who has dealt with multiple injuries. And that, that is, you know, you have that has to be noted. Um, but if he comes back fully healthy and pitches the way he has been over the last three seasons is going to garner a lot, a lot of money on the free agent market. Um, you're at 30 years old. Maybe you're looking at a, you know, five to seven year deal, maybe even longer. Who knows what the market's going to look like then? Probably at least $25 million a year. I think that's what we'd be looking at. And I think uh, nobody that listens to this podcast, unless things drastically change in the next couple of years, who knows, they might. I don't think nobody that listens to this podcast is naive enough to believe the Rays are going to be one of the teams offering him uh, those contracts if he does reach free agency. But what the Rays might do is offer him an extension now. And I, I think the Rays would probably be only in the market to do this if it eats up one of those free agent years. I don't know if that's in the best interest of Tyler Glass now if he wants two more years with the Rays or at least two more, you know, two more healthy years with the Rays on paper. Um, what a contract extension might do for the Rays is you rehab him through 2022. Maybe you're still, you know, evaluating trade possibilities. I will say, I so Eric Neander, the Rays general manager, was on uh, Ronnie and T-Crass on WDAE this morning and left, like, had a pretty cryptic comment about um Tyler Glasnow's future with the race. I don't. I don't think it means much, um, but he he said that he they've had conversations with Tyler Glasnow about his future with the Rays. That can mean a number of things. That uh, and I'm sure those conversations have already been happening, especially if his name was being seriously mentioned in trade conversations with the Cubs or or whoever else. Um, but I don't know what an extension would look like. He's gonna get, you know, he's gonna make a couple more million dollars in arbitration this year, even though he's hurt. That's just how the pay scale works in Major League Baseball. But maybe the Rays look at after this in this offseason a three, maybe a four year extension with Tyler Glass. Now, I don't know what the dollars would look like. That I think it's very interesting with the injury. Uh, but the goal for the Rays would be to eat up one of those free agent seasons, uh, which would be either twenty twenty four and then maybe twenty twenty five, and then you can you know have Glass now pitch a little bit longer for the Rays before you ultimately, I, I think, would look to trade him. Um, so, yeah, uh, nothing's happened. Nothing's imminent, obviously. We have to get through this season. I think the Rays and the front office and the management are focused on getting through this season. Uh, but ultimately, I think we'll get some Tyler Glasnow news at some point this offseason. And with Glasnow out for the remainder of this season, that's going to have a huge impact on the pitching rotation, the starting rotation, 
for uh, October, which it seems like the Rays are, are headed towards. So we're going to talk about what that pitching rotation might look like after a quick break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back on Raise Your Voice discussing the pitching staff, the starting rotation specifically for this Rays team, not only through the rest of this regular season, through August and September, but into October and the postseason. And I've been kind of vocal. I, that's, when, when the Rays lost Charlie Morton and Blake Snell last offseason, my worry wasn't about them getting back to the postseason. I thought they had the pitching staff to do it. My worry was what's going to happen when they get to October when they're minus Charlie Morton and Blake Snell, uh, Blake Snell, a Cy Young winner, Charlie Morton, a Cy Young finalist, all-star, all, all that sort of stuff. Um, two, two guys that you can rely on if you need to in a five or seven game series for like 14, 15 innings of great base of great pitching without those guys. Then you were just left with Tyler glass now, and now he's out of the picture for this year too. Uh, so Again, I'm not worried about the Rays making the postseason. Obviously, they've got a four-game lead in the American League East and an even bigger lead if they were to fall into the wild card race. I am a little, I, I don't want to say worried. I'm a little uh, unsure, skeptical about what this pitching rotation can accomplish in October when you're going to be going up against offenses like the Chicago White Sox, who just added Elo Jimenez, by the way. Uh Houston Astros, who they dealt with a lot of injuries, but have been for for a large chunk of the of this season, I think the best team in the American League. The Boston Red Sox, guys like Rafael Devers, J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts. Hey, they just added Kyle Schwarber, who was the hottest hitter on the planet for a couple of weeks, amongst a number of other uh, really good hitters. Uh, you know, even teams like Toronto, who have been playing really good baseball, could find themselves sneaking into the postseason. The Yankees could end up there. They've played really good baseball. Joey Gallo, Anthony Rizzo just joined that lineup that already has Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, the Rays are going to be facing some really good offenses. Good news is the Rays' offense has been just as good, if not better, than all of those teams in terms of run production. And I'll, I'll go into detail a little bit more about that later in the show in the in the raise, raise your voice or raise my voice segment, but want to focus back on the pitching and just kind of say that, yeah, it's a little right now in, in the, during the regular season, it doesn't, I, I don't want to say it feels like it's hanging by a thread, uh, but given the standards that we're used to as race fans watching this pitching staff, this, this current rotation makes you a little nervous. So I'm, I'm on roster resource, a, you know, a really cool tool, on fangraphs.com that shows up-to-date rosters for all 30 teams and like depth charts and a bunch of other, a number of other things. But I'm looking at how they see the Rays starting rotation right now, because this isn't, you know, this isn't gospel. This is just their interpretation based on what is going on in the games. And, and it's pretty accurate right now with the Rays. The Rays have a pretty straightforward rotation. Ryan Yarbrough, Shane McClanahan, Michael Walker, Luis Patino, and Josh Fleming. So you automatically look and you see guys like Shane McClanahan, Luis Patino, Josh Fleming, three really young guys. Now McClanahan and Fleming both have postseason experience. Actually, I don't know if Patino pitched in the postseason last year for San Diego or not. I don't think he did. But three very young guys 
Michael Walker, a guy that has looked pretty rough. He's had a couple of good outings, and, and I made a prediction on the podcast with Darby and, and Darby Robinson and Bree Gonzalez that Michael Walker was going to go on a Rich Hill-esque run at some point in the second half of the season. That hasn't happened yet. Doesn't really look like it's going to happen, uh, but who knows? You know, he's, he's had a couple of really good outings, like the one he had against New York, uh, but more poor outings than than good ones. And this is a team that, yeah, like I said, traded Rich Hill before the trade deadline and then lost Tyler Glass now for the remainder of the season. Uh, so this is what they're dealing with. And you look at AAA and guys that might be able to come up. Well, Drew, Joe Ryan and Drew Strotman were possibilities, and they're both they've both been traded to Minnesota. Uh, the rest of the pitchers in AAA that can give you length, Brett Honeywell threw five innings for the first time in like four years. Uh, but can you count on him to do that at the big league level? I don't think so. I don't think the Rays would want to do that. He might have a role at, you know, to some extent in this team um, from now until the end of the season, but I don't think it would be as a starter or as a bulk pitcher unless it was absolutely necessary. The other guy is Shane Boz, who yet to be added to the 40-man roster, is just returning from the Tokyo Summer Games where he won the silver medal with Team USA. Um, I could see, realistically, envision Boz being a part of the big league team going into the postseason as a reliever, similar to what Shane McClanahan did last year and going back to 2008, what David Price did, a young, very talented pitching prospect with an electric arm um, that maybe isn't going to slot into the rotation this year, but he can get a taste of, of the big leagues and of the postseason as a reliever. I, I, I don't, I'm not guaranteeing that. I don't think, I, don't, I wouldn't even say if it's like likely or probable, but uh, that's definitely going to be something the Rays consider for Shane Boz, um, depending on what he looks like. You know, once he gets back to AAA Durham, I really don't know what the Rays view in terms of his progression this season and development as a prospect, uh, taking some time to go play in the Olympics. It was awesome that he played there. Um, got a chance to win a silver medal. It's very rare to get a chance to do that, given that, you know, baseball is not even going to be in the 2024 games in Paris. I think they're going to be back in 2028 uh, when the Olympics are in Los Angeles back on U.S. soil. Uh, I, would, I would hope that baseball and softball can be re-added once again in 2028 uh, in the United States. Um, but you really, that's it in terms of guys that could come up from the AAA level and provide some length, some bulk innings for the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, even in the current bullpen, it's like, okay, Dietrich Enns was starting for Durham, but do you see Dietrich Enns as a big league starter? I'm really excited that he's up there, and I, I like what I've seen in the in his one outing, uh, but I don't know if I'm ready for him to be taking on four, maybe even five innings of work in a big league game, especially not in the postseason. So you're really stuck with those five, Ryan Yarbrough, Shane McClanahan, Michael Walker, Luis Patino, and Josh Fleming. You're probably going to see a four-man rotation in the postseason, no matter if it's a five- or a seven-game series. The Rays are always going to be you know, creative, and it's going to be a lot different. I, I haven't seen the postseason schedule, and I, I'm sure it's out, or at least the, the timeline of events for the postseason. Last year, they had to play five games in five days, then had one day off and played seven games in seven days before going to Texas to pl play in the World Series. It was a really tight uh, fit for all of those games to be completed no off days in a playoff series is kind of just unheard of. You always get a day off um, on travel days, and that gives you a chance to kind of rest your pitching staff. Uh, I would I would assume the Rays then go into a five-game series uh, on a four-man rotation. I'm not going to try to guess who's going to get the ball game one. I'm sure that has to do with a lot of different things, like, hey, are the Rays playing in a wild-card game? Have they won the wild-card game? 
um, who pitched to end the season, stuff like that. I think Shane McClanahan's their best starter right now, and I really don't think that's debatable. And after McClanahan, you probably go to Ryan Yarbrough. Uh, I, I'd posit that, that Luis Patino is maybe the second best starter. And again, I'm not saying who's going to throw game one, game two, game three. There's a lot of other variables that would play into that. But the power ranking, the starters that the Rays would take into the postseason, assuming health for all of these guys. Um, so I'd go Shane McClanahan, Ryan Yarbrough, Luis Patino, and then you have Josh Fleming, uh, Michael Walker, and maybe Chris Archer, who's on a rehab assignment with Durham right now. We're still yet to see what his role is going to be with this team. And I kind of have low expect. I don't want to say low expectations. I have no expectations. He's been out since April. Like he's gone through a lot with his injury, his personal life. So I anything the Rays get out of Chris Archer positively, I will you know not take for granted. Like it, it, whether that's as a starter or as a bulk pitcher, or that's maybe out of the bullpen in a one or two inning role. That could be really valuable for the Rays. And so maybe he comes back. He looks great in these last two months of the regular season and slots in as a starter in a postseason series. That would be really, really exciting for the Rays and for Chris Archer. I just don't know yet, so I really can't speculate. But I'm guessing that last spot would go to one of Waka or Fleming or Archer. You know, and there's going to be some sort of combination. Again, the Rays are still going to be extremely creative with how they piece together the innings, especially in a postseason series. But that doesn't really like strike confidence in me if those are your if that's your group going into the postseason. Again, I'm not very uh, I'm not concerned about the race chances of getting back to the World Series and maybe winning it. I think they have really good chances to do that. And part of that's because their offense has been good and every other part of the team has been really good. And I'm like I said, I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, but in terms of the pitching staff. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot. There's there's a lot of question marks. Um, one thing I think is for sure is Shane McClanahan is going to have to be the guy, right? Not the guy, but one like he's going to have to pitch really, really well. I think in the postseason for the Rays to have success, and I really like what I've seen out of him so far this season. Right now, he's the, he's the Rays' best starting pitcher. You look at the bullpen, and again, we have a lot of guys that you expect to come back at some point. Ryan Thompson, J.P. Fireisen, Jeffrey Springs. Pete Fairbanks and Nick Anderson. But with the healthy pitchers, you've got your A bullpen right now would be Andrew Kittredge, Colin McHugh, Matt Whistler, and Drew Rasmussen, probably. And then the B bullpen, eh, JT Shagwa might be in the A bullpen. But you've got JT Shagwa, Ryan Sheriff, DJ Johnson. Oh, never mind. DJ Johnson was just injured. Matt Whistler. And like right now, Dietrich Enns is on the roster. I know they added Lewis Head, so I'd probably go Lewis Head. It was part of that B bullpen. If you had to pick a an eight man bullpen, they might go nine man bullpen uh, with like a Fleming or a Waka or an Archer in the bullpen. Yeah, that's I, I like the bullpen still. I think Andrew Kittredge, Colin McHugh, Drew Rasmussen, they can all get really big outs for you in October. Uh, but then you add a Nick Anderson and maybe a Pete Fairbanks and a Ryan Thompson to that. And you knock off some of the names off towards the bottom of that list. And that's a really solid bullpen going into October with um, the starting rotation is, you know, there's there's not as big of a question mark of like who's going to be involved, um, at least the names. Um, but the question is how they're going to perform and are they going to perform well enough 
to get the Rays back to where they want to be, and that's back in the October, back in the World Series, and and, and try to you know win it this year. Uh, we're going to take one more quick break and then kind of talk about some of the other reasons. You talked about all the injuries to the pitching staff, uh, but what what are some of the reasons other than the pitching that just still done really well that the Rays have the best record in the American League? And we're back on Raise Your Voice. The Rays have the best record in the American League once again. They have a four-game lead in the AL East, 68 wins, um, the most in the league, behind, or just ahead of the White Sox, who are at 67, and the Astros, who are at 66. They have the second-best record in all of baseball, just behind San Francisco, who sit at 71 and 41 over in the NL West, a four-game lead of their own over the Dodgers. And I, I, I okay. I've got to be before the Sunday night baseball broadcast against the Red Sox. uh, Jeff Passan, who is a fine reporter for ESPN, uh, mentioned that the Rays score a lot of runs. But who knows how? Well, they do score a lot of runs. That's true, Jeff. They're third in the American League in runs scored only behind the Astros and the Blue Jays. Uh, yeah, there are some numbers that would make you believe that, okay, maybe the Rays offense has run a little hot this year. And what I mean by that is that maybe they're a little bit lucky. Now, that stuff sort of evens out as, you know, over the course of a full 162-game season. But even with that, there's still going to be uh, some sense of, or, or some, there's going to be some luck to some extent, whether that be good luck or bad luck. And I think based on batting, based on hitting stats alone, I'd say the Rays have been a little bit fortunate if you just look at the hitting stats. Now, I'm not saying their offense has been fortunate because I do think that offense comes from other places. Well, if it's not from hitting, where is it coming from then, Brett? Well, I think it's on the base paths, and a lot of numbers back this up. I know stolen bases, the Rays haven't done super great this year, um, but they there is more of a reason than just how they hit to why they're third in the American League in runs. If you look at... Um, Fangraph's uh, ultimate base running stat, their UBR stat, the Rays rank in the American League, uh, third in the American League, two point with a 2.4. Weighted grounded into double plays, the Rays rank number one with an 8.2. Now I'm going to pull up WGDP on Fangraph's um, Sabermetrics library. So weighted grounded into double play runs is the number of runs above or below average a player has accumulated based on their ability to stay out of double plays. Now, you you add that, and that's, now you use that team stat. Over uh, the course of this season, the Rays have 8.2 weighted grounded into double play runs. 8.2, the second best team in the American League? That's the Oakland A's. There's just 3.3. You want to look at who's number 15 in the American League? The New York Yankees, negative 7.8. Now, this isn't a catch-all stat that's going to correlate directly to offense. It definitely doesn't do that because right above the Yankees are the two teams that are ahead of the Rays in runs scored, negative 3.3 for the Toronto Blue Jays and negative 4.6 for the Houston Astros. Now, again, this isn't, like I said, this is not a catch-all stat. This is very much just showing um, in terms of like situational hitting and base running and being able to break up double plays, the Rays are very good at that, and that turns into runs. Like the Rays don't get on base as much as Houston or Toronto. They don't hit as many home runs. Uh, they they strike out more. Um, like there are a number of things that, in terms of just hitting, the Rays are not nearly as good as Toronto or Houston, but they do so many other things better that they can score just as many runs as these teams towards the top of the American League. Weighted stolen base, yeah. You look at weighted stolen base, the Rays are at negative two point eight, right? They're second, they're fourteenth in the American League. They're only ahead of the Boston Red Sox. 
you look at all, all these great teams that are towards the bottom of some of these base running stats, you can't use them all, but there are a number of reasons to see why the Rays are good. And I'm going to talk about defense more in just a second as well. Um, but let me look for the baseball reference uh, base running statistics. And on baseball reference, the Rays are tied for first in the American League with a 35% run score percentage. So that's the amount of times a runner reaches base that eventually scores a run. The other team they're tied with, the Houston Astros, 35%. Toronto sitting at 34%. Extra bases taken percentage, which is the percentage of times the runner advanced more than one base on a single or more than two bases on a double when possible. Rays, first place in the American League, 48%. You look at another team towards the bottom, 14th in the AL, the New York Yankees, 36%. The Astros and the Blue Jays are in the bottom half of the American League as well in that statistic. So while the Astros and Blue Jays are better hitting teams, the Rays, with some of these base running statistics incorporated, and you can see what they do on the base paths, are able to have just as good of an offense as some of these teams. Now you look at defense, you, you have the ability, and I mentioned it in a recap that I wrote on the site for, I believe it was the series finale on Sunday Night Baseball, against the Boston Red Sox, the Rays were put into an opportunity where they could use defensive replacements to go into the last inning of, of a game uh, on, on primetime national television uh, uh, against the Boston Red Sox, a huge game where they could deploy Brett Phillips in left, Kevin Kiermeyer in center, and Manuel Margot in right field. At that time, and I haven't, I haven't checked in, uh, since then, those were three of the top four players in baseball and stat casts outs above average, OAA stat. These guys are some of the best defensive outfielders in the game, and the Rays had them all playing in the ninth inning of that Sunday night baseball game, and all three of them made a play in that last inning. Manuel Margot caught the last out, last out but if you look, um, Brett Phillips may have uh, stopped a runner from advancing to an extra base by getting to a ball and making a good throw. Kevin Kiermeyer did the same thing. These guys are difference makers in the outfield. It's what makes them... Who, none of these guys are great hitters. Manuel Margot's the, you know, the best hitter out of the bunch, but their defensive abilities and their base running abilities are what make them uh, better, you know, really, really good major league baseball players. And you, you always hear the talk about, and this is where I'm going to raise my voice a little bit. Um, not, not literally. I'm not going to, you don't have to turn down your headphones or anything, um, but the Rays being this new way, analytically driven team. That's like by the numbers. That's kind of the perception of the Rays by national media and by a lot of fans across the country and even you know some Rays fans view the team in that way and I do think the Rays are analytically driven as it really is any of the 30 major league teams are today and they do do things differently and they operate on a different frequency as other front offices and whatever else you want to say but the Rays do a lot of the things that I think are like like thought of as traditional baseball skills and qualities and the way they play the game that make them really good. Like I just mentioned, the athleticism they have in the outfield, they make they 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 take plays that should you know be very difficult. But when you've got Manuel Margot, Kevin Kiermaier, and Brett Phillips running after fly balls, they turn into routine plays. Uh, that's really key to this this Rays outfield. Um, you've got guys like Taylor Walls that are playing shortstop, and he's like not even your top shortstop right now because you have Wander Franco, who's a fine defender and an even better hitter. Uh, the Rays take the extra base. They don't ground into double plays. They use situational hitting. They get sack flies. Uh, they get on base a lot. Like they they do things that are considered like tra baseball traditional baseball things, and they do them really well. And that's why they have the best record in the American League, uh, despite like have, I think leading the um, American League in strikeout percentage. Let me double check that. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Yeah, they have a 26 percent team strikeout rate. 
which is tied with Detroit and right behind Seattle, who's a 26.1% uh, strikeout rate. But they make up for that with a 9.7% walk rate. And you look at guys like Yandy Diaz, who is always willing to draw a walk. It's my favorite thing to watch him do. The Rays are third in the American League in walk rate uh, or walk percentage, just behind the White Sox and the Yankees. So, yes, in terms of just hitting alone, the Rays might be running a little hot. Maybe they are. Maybe their offense isn't this good. But they like there's a reason to believe that it is this good, even if they can't hit as well as the Astros or the Blue Jays. Because they're doing so many other things well, like running the bases. You look at the you know pitching and defense. There's a reason they're winning this many games, and it's not all luck. Again, not saying that anybody is saying that the Rays are a lucky team, uh, but the numbers back up why the Rays are good, why they've been good, why they've been the best team in the American League since the start of the 2020 season. And there's really not an argument that any team has been better, uh, despite what some people on Twitter might say. So the Rays are good. I don't need to tell you this. If you're listening to this, you probably already think that, um, but... It, it's, it's really special to watch this team. And again, the goal is to win a World Series. They haven't done that yet. But Rays fans, don't take last season for granted. Don't take this season for granted. These teams are special. They were handpicked by, I think, the best front office, or maybe you know at least a top three front office in all of baseball. And they're winning a lot of baseball games. Uh, and a lot of credit goes to the front office, to the coaching staff, Kevin Cash, Kyle Snyder, guys that have a great feel for the players they have in their clubhouse, how to utilize them, when to utilize them and how to turn them into a winning baseball team. And, and the players themselves, uh, you look at guys like Joey Wendell, Brett Phillips, um, even Yandy Diaz, like guys that were almost fringe players in their previous stops, and now they are huge pieces of a team that's contending for yet another World Series title, So, or another AL pennant, I should say. So whatever. I mean, that, that's really all I have to say, and I didn't really throw out any, any super hot takes. You know, you guys know the Rays are good and why they're good. But just wanted a chance to raise my voice. Uh, seen seen some some takes from some prominent figures on Twitter that are maybe fans of other teams in the American League East. But that's pretty much going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. I enjoyed doing this solo episode. Kind of gave me a chance just to clear my mind and talk to you guys for a little bit. With that being said, I will be getting on some amazing guests very soon. They won't make the show so special. Um, you always want to get people on your podcast that are smarter than you. So I will be doing that starting next week once again. But thank you guys for listening. Um, as always, make sure to head on over to DRaysBay.com to check out all of the great Rays coverage. I'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>